Welcome into episode 227 of the Source Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Denning. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations that's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Uh, you can schedule an appointment online at justicedental.com or call 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment new. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning, Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host. Uh, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic, Jack. How are you? I am uh, a little overwhelmed, a little stressed. Um, It's been a week from hell for me personally. Um, It was a trip to Columbia, which was an absolute disaster for every sense of the word. There's nothing about that trip. Went well from a basketball perspective. Kentucky gets run off the floor. Team morale was terrible. Body language was bad. Uh, just the whole nine yards was terrible. We're going to get into a lot of that. But then I come home, and move-in day is scheduled. So I'm, I've closed on my house. Uh, we built it, and it just closed the 22nd, so a couple days before Christmas. Scheduled movers for the 30th right after I got back from Columbia. Uh, the movers were four hours late. They didn't get done until, like, 1030 at night. Uh, last night, I tried building my bed. Um, it was an Ikea, which was 10,000 pieces, and it took me 15 hours to get it done. And to say that my language was colorful and uh, I was not proud of some of the things I said would be an understatement. It was just, uh, I was up till 2 o'clock. I had radio this morning at, uh, I'd get up at 7 o'clock to get to Lexington. So uh, I'm sleep deprived. I'm ready to be done with this whole move-in process and just enjoy what is the rest of this college basketball season. But it's a little bit easier whenever you have a Kentucky basketball victory, especially over the Louisville Cardinals, no matter what the competition is, no matter how bad they are, Sean, I will never apologize for beating the hell out of Louisville. So uh, that's at least the one little positive I have going on right now. Yeah, it's a a little bit of in-between this week. You had an awful performance just what four days ago at Missouri, and then you come back and you you beat Louisville, not a good Louisville team. I mean, it's not even a a good win, but it's a. I think it might it, it could be one of those things that maybe jumpstarts some success for Kentucky, similar to the way last year's team did against a Western Kentucky team at Rutgers. It, it wasn't a great win, but it was a win that kind of started getting people to feel good about things. And you had some guys kind of emerge in that game, like a Jacob Toppin did yesterday, a guy that we've been talking about now for five or six weeks. Uh, so I'm, I'm choosing to take some pauses out of that, but the common denominator still remains the same to me until this team beats someone of substance. All those question marks are still there. So my biggest issue with the Missouri game was Louisville wasn't going to create any statement. You you weren't going to learn anything about this team with the Louisville game. So it was a, a wasted trip, but it's also a wasted week. It's a waste, no opportunity to prove anything different about who you are another, as a basketball team, learning another the identity quad one down the drain. Yeah. Another quad one gone. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, there was nothing to, it, it was a, a basically you had to push back a whole week until the LSU game, which, 
it's going to be a, a you know a, a solid game. But really, the next real significant test that you know will decide what really this team is and if it can turn turn things around is is a whole week away from uh, the, the trip to Tuscaloosa for the Alabama game. So it was just it really felt like a missed opportunity, and it felt like they continued to regress. Uh, I, I talked to a lot of people around the program, inside the program, parents. Uh, you know, j- just. I, I got a very large sample size after that Missouri game. And I'm going to be totally honest, Sean, team morale was not good. The locker room was not good. Uh, the, the locker room, as soon as the game ended, was full of, you know, these guys don't want to win. Toughness is a very serious question. Will they ever be able to respond in that regard? Will they ever be tough? Are they nothing but, you know, a bunch of soft kids that don't care about winning? You know, one kid wants to win and five or six others don't couldn't care less like there was a lot of that kind of you know back and forth within the team and and that is the makings of a disaster season like that's if you start getting that kind of turmoil at this point in the year Sean you know you as a coach you would know that is that that's a a ticking time bomb if you have some ruffling of feathers and some you know team chemistry issues that's where things can really get off the rails really fast so I guess if you're looking for a positive going into this uh, into this Louisville game and, and how there weren't any major takeaways going into it and how it was supposed to be just a waste of time. It's that I thought team morale was a complete 180. I thought they looked like they were having a good time. I thought ball movement was better. It looked like everybody was kind of sharing and wanting to be better teammates. And uh, you could just clearly tell that chemistry was higher. Maybe it was the rivalry uh, aspect. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but that was something that I really needed to see soon. And for them to do it so quickly against Louisville was was definitely a, a step in the right direction. We'll talk about a lot of the you know kind of mental health stuff that uh, yeah. we learned after the game, but just from an on-court perspective, I thought it was visible. I thought it was tangible that the team chemistry was a, a huge nine-day difference from Missouri. And, and that's where I'm going to choose to go positive with this. And and this and this is the direction I'm going to take it. Louisville's not going to show up on their NCAA tournament resume at any point this season. It's going to be so far buried down the list of wins that it's it's just not significant. But if it kickstarts something here over the next month or so and they were able to kind of rebuild that team chemistry and kind of come together, and uh, and that's, that's the best they'd look. That's the best uh, – some individual guys had looked since the season started. The ball was moving. I thought they were really effective against Louisville zone at times. Jacob Toppin floating around the high post with some of that high-low action and Oscar Sheboy in that short corner area. But – to me, Jack, it's not going to be a win that puts them in the tournament or gets them a good seed. But let's say that it gets them going. You might be able to look back and say that winning against a bad Louisville team might be the biggest win of the year just because it kind of got them moving in the right direction. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more because uh, I thought, you know, the game was what it was. It was a, it, they entered the game as a 22-and-a-half point favorite. They won by 23. That's, you know, it was chalk. It was exactly what we – expected they were who we thought they were it's the worst assembled team in college basketball uh, I, I truly cannot believe that Kenny Payne with all the basketball knowledge and experience and the connections that he has uh, was you know capable of building a roster so bad I thought that he would at least you know know how to say oh hey you probably need more than one single point guard one single ball handler on the roster other than L. Ellis who is a shoot first uh, you know kind of ball dominant guy who the ball sticks quite a bit with him uh, that was one of the main comments Kenny Payne said after the game. I'd rather him have 15 points in 10 assists than 30 points in two assists. So, uh, you know, just from that perspective, it's terrible. They have 10,000 forwards and wings. None of them are very good, all very below average. They didn't get a home run get at the out of the transfer portal. 
at recruiting. They still haven't. 2023 looks terrible for them as well. I, I, I'm just baffled at how terrible things are going for them. So I wasn't expecting to learn anything from a talent perspective. But like you said, I, I, I just really thought uh, things things looked up, especially Jacob Toppin. Like you said, this was a performance that he needed. This was somebody that uh, admittedly he was unplayable. I mean, for, for much of this season, he, he was the, the center of all of the conversation regarding bad body language we saw him on I mean on camera glaring at coach Cal on the bench uh, at Missouri that's not acceptable you cannot have you know that type of you know reaction and and, and it's not just the glare it's it's a lot of the you know body language not cheering for your teammates uh, just something was not right and you could tell that something was not right and he admitted that something was not right after the Louisville game he talked uh, Sean for my money the most vulnerable I have ever heard a Kentucky basketball player and I, I can't tell you how long. I mean, he was sitting there talking about how dark things were and how he was in a dark place and how he hit rock bottom without a, a bottom. That he was basically in this endless abyss of terrible sadness. And it was just like, holy hell, like I, you don't even think about from a, a, you know, you think from a selfish perspective and a, oh, he's just caring about himself. He just wants the numbers and the highlights and all those things. But when you think about it from that perspective of a, Man, I really thought that this was going to be my breakthrough year. This I was expecting, you know, the the player I thought I was in my head to shine on the court. And like, you know, when you kind of look at it from that perspective, I, I can understand where that you know dark place could come from. So for him to be that vulnerable and honest, and just the communication, Coach Cal, how accountable he was after the game, saying, you know, I just don't think I've connected well with this team. I don't think that I have understood how this team needs to be playing and. Uh, it just, it just the dialogue after the game. Oscar Sheboy saying, "I'm, I'm, you know, sick and tired of Cal being so negative and rude and mean all the time." And he's been super positive lately and uplifting us instead of, uh, you, you know, the tough love approach and you know things like that. It's just like, where, what is this happened with this team? It's just it, the, the mental health side and the the communication and those sorts of things. I mean, it, it truly felt like a breakthrough in a game that I didn't think that we'd have any major takeaways whatsoever. That's what I was about to say. You, you don't really expect to get those after a blowout win either. But that's what you got yesterday. Like, there was a lot of good that came from that victory. A lot of honesty. A lot of guys kind of self-reflecting, looking at themselves in the mirror. And, and John Calipari, you know, he shouldered a lot of the blame for – kind of how this thing is gone. And that's something that we've kind of looked at. And I, I thought it was a different press conference than the one at Missouri. I thought at Missouri, you know, there was a lot of frustration. Like, I don't, you know, like, I don't know who this basketball team is. This isn't my basketball, like, you know, things like that. And then you come back three days later and you get right. You get a lot of guys, smiles returned. There was energy. There looked to be having fun playing the game of basketball. I thought that was a big change yesterday, and that's why I think the rivalry being placed where it was yesterday might be the best thing that ever happened to this team this season because had that been anyone else, I don't know if we'd have got the fire and the energy that we got. But Jacob Toppin, I know, mentioned in the preseason that Louisville was the game that he was looking forward to the most. And Yeah, that, maybe maybe that's part of it. And I will add – Change uh, that mindset. I, I talked to somebody, you know, inside the program after – the game ended and, you know, they acknowledged. So I, I, you know, acknowledged that like, whoa, this was a pretty, in, you know, substantial post-game press conference from Cal, from Jacob Toppin, from Oscar, you know, just kind of saying like, 
the vibe was very different here. Uh, and, you know, I spoke to somebody, you know, around the program that said that that's actually been a huge point of emphasis, you know, inside the last week or so that communication, they will admit, has been bad. That Cal's delivery with some of the things that he's been saying publicly has not been what they, you know, I think Cal has been saying some things, kind of like the basketball school comment. You know, I was down there with Coach Cal in the Bahamas when he made that comment. I knew the point that he was trying to make. Cal told me afterward the point that he was trying to make with all of that. And he admitted, damn, I really did not mean for it to come out the way that it did. And I want to. But then it kind of turned into this fire, you know, firestorm of, of nonsense that it didn't need to be. And you could just kind of tell it's like, damn, I, I, I regret the approach there. And I think that that's some of the things, you know, the, the you know, criticism is part of the tax on success phrase that Cal has mm-hmm. been using about what it takes to be here and how the criticism, you know, that's kind of part of what being a Kentucky Wildcat is and things like that. You know, they admitted that that maybe that approach hasn't been the right way. You know, he hasn't been wording things the right way in that regard. So there's even an accountability inside the locker room right now that Cal is acknowledging like, you know what, I'm even screwing up with how I'm approaching things. My connection with the players is not what it needs to be. Not everybody can have the tough love approach. You know, you're soft, buck up, you know, you're a this or that or however you want to call it. Not all kids this in this era respond to that type of coaching. Sometimes you got to, you know, coddle a little bit. Sometimes you got to, you know, kind of have the, the, what do they call it? An Oreo where it's like you have positive praise, positive, the praise with criticism tucked inside, like kind of stuff like that. Uh, I think that's something that Cal is just kind of learning about, you know, trying to adapt with today's era of kids. And this is just a different locker room. Some kids are dogs. Some kids are meant for that. Well, Others aren't. So I, I appreciate that they're at least trying to, to learn with this. Yeah. And uh, the crazy thing about that is, is I'm finding that out as a coach right now, that hmm. there's kids that crumble when you approach it a certain way and you don't even, I mean, I'm talking about kids that are 14 years old that I don't even realize how sometimes the way my words or the things that I say kind of affect it. And I've had conversations with a couple of my kids on my team this week that felt like I was maybe being too hard on them at 14 years old. So it's fair. It, it, it is like, it's just, it's a, and it, regardless of the age that you coach, I mean, it's, if we're talking NBA and adults, I mean, mental health is a significant, thing that that has to be treated and, and paid attention to, not just on the player side, but coach's side and expectations and, and things that, especially at a place like Kentucky, we know that every one of those guys in that locker room, they want to perform at the highest level. Mm-hmm. They're in Kentucky because they want to go beyond Kentucky. We know that John Calipari, I, I think at the root of it, Jack, I, th- I think that he wants to win national championships. I think that he wants to hang banners at Rupp Arena. He wants to get it right. He wants this team to be a team that can make a run at a final weekend. And sometimes I think that when you get caught up in all the frustration, your team's not playing well, you're a preseason top five team, you got the reigning national player of the year coming back, it's easy to lose yourself, not just as a coach, but as as a team as well. And then you kind of just need something to kind of refocus you. And I feel like that maybe this week it was a wasted week one that we didn't learn a lot, but maybe it wasn't wasted after all. Maybe after Wednesday night, the way it went down, having to come back home, you're looking at your arch rival right in the eye, a team that you know is not going to make you feel any better if you go out and beat them, especially when it comes to resume. But it felt like it was kind of sandwiched at the perfect time. Right before 
now a stretch with LSU and Alabama and, and Tennessee coming up. Like there are some games that you're going to learn a lot about this team over the next 10 to 14 days. Like actual road games coming up against really good basketball teams that if you want to feel good about yourself, you go win some of these. Yeah, and wouldn't it be the thing that what this team was missing, the reason, the root of all of this team's issues and all the missed shots and all of the, you know, terrible ball movement. And, you know, I had a conversation with Steven, our producer. Uh, we were texting back and forth. He was, you know, kind of doing a film breakdown of, of UCLA and saying uh, that, you know, the number of passes in, set, in, in six possessions are only seven passes total. And, uh, you know, little little individual individual tidbits like that where you when you really break things down, it, it almost becomes a – you can sense the pressure that this team is feeling – by how they're playing they're tight they're they're you know thinking that they all have to do it themselves and it's kind of this uh, you know I don't trust my guy to the left of me to make this shot or the guy to my the right of me to make the shot I got to go get this you know not out of selfishness but because this team is struggling so bad somebody's got to step up and I got to be that guy and without you you know when when the easy path the, the the best example was Chris Livingston you know had that opportunity he had that floater uh, I think mm -hmm. against UCLA he had the floater or again, was it no against Missouri? He had the uh, he's he got the ball from the left wing, drove to the free throw line. He either had a lob to Oscar Sheboy at the rim or a kick out to CJ Frederick, and nobody was within 18 miles of him for an easy an easy look. And he goes for the floater over two defenders with with or three defenders, two hands in his face, uh, and he breaks it and he gets pulled out. And it's little little tiny nitpicky decisions like that that I think are the difference. What happens if he makes that if he makes that extra pass out to the corner and CJ shoots it and he hits it and he builds that confidence. What does that do to him in the rest of that game? Does it flip the script of, you know, momentum for the rest of that game? What is, what happens if uh, he hits Oscar for the lob and he gets a big ferocious slam and the Missouri crowd goes silent? What does that do for the momentum the rest of the game? It's, it's those one, one or two hitters throughout the game that happened early because of the tightness, because they have that pressure on their shoulders to, you know, be play hero ball almost, and it's it's truly crushed this team. And to see them play as free as they did against Louisville, and to make that extra pass and trust their teammates and things like that, I thought it was game changer. I mean, I, I truly do. It just wouldn't it be our luck that the team that we thought they were, they could be that, and all it just came down to was them having confidence in each other and you know mental health. Yeah, and uh, I mean those are those are important things though. If if those thing if those areas aren't being taken care of, it's hard to do the other things that we talk about on the show. Uh, I didn't get to watch all the Missouri game. Obviously, we had a game that night, but I did go back and watch a little bit of it. It was very frustrating to watch. Uh, like I said, I didn't watch all of it, but I will tell you a takeaway that I have had over the last couple of weeks and then even yesterday too. I'm really starting to like what I see from Chris Livingston. I'm bringing him up because you just talked I about agree. it. I think the biggest difference in him now that I'm seeing is I'm seeing a guy that's playing with a pace and it's not a whole lot of thinking. He's playing full speed. He's getting to the rim. He's moving well on the defensive end of the floor. He's going to the glass. I'm seeing a guy that confidence just continues to grow. And I think it started to grow in that game against UCLA. And I think it's carried over, especially to yesterday. And I think that that's a guy that's just going to continue to get better and better as league play goes along. And look, that's a position that we've been talking about. And you can throw Jacob Toppin in there as well, whether it's at the three or the four. And I thought both of them played very well 
yesterday. And I think that that's an encouraging thing moving forward as you welcome LSU to Rupp Arena tomorrow or Monday or Tuesday night. And then you go on the road to Alabama to close the week. I think that that's a good thing to see those guys get going. Uh, but Jacob yesterday just looked very comfortable to me. I think that's the first time all year that I felt like he he looked like he was confident in what he was doing. And it's kind of wild to to go back and think that last year it was Jacob Toppin in the high post against the zone. I can't remember which game, which game it was. It might have been the game against Western. I, I can't remember, but I thought that we were talking a lot about how comfortable he looked in that high post area, and we got to saw that we got to see that yesterday. And he was going to the rim. He was taking jumpers, but it wasn't the force jumpers. It was the one, two dribble pull-ups from 14, 15 feet, no turnaround fadeaways, anything like that. He he looked like a guy that kind of understood what he was supposed to do yesterday. And I think when he got that first basket, it really got him going. Yeah, and that's and it's just that's a kid that it's so easy to root for, man. Like I was there at Rupp Arena yesterday. And the the eruption eruption zone was actually where a lot of it stemmed from. But the when he got named Player of the Year or Player of the, of the Game by the uh, Bluegrass Commission, when when his name and face got put up on the score on the scoreboard, and you know his numbers were up there, the crowd went crazy. And I think that in itself is you know it, it's just proof that this that this is a kid that that we've always wanted to succeed we yep. we've all seen the potential from day one we've talked about the numbers the physical tools all of that stuff we uh, we it's because we believed in him for so long and the fans have believed in him for so long and that's why we're we're all that frustration has stemmed from here recently because when when he has bad, bad body language and he's not hustling and he's not grabbing rebounds and he's not doing you know all these other things it's because we've seen him thrive the way he has before. Look at the Bahamas, just how, I mean, that was a level of confidence that, I mean, shoot, that was just absolutely clear. Uh, this is a kid that everybody wants to root for, and they just have such high expectations because they know he can do it. So when they're hard on him, it's because of those expectations and because they've seen him do it before. It's it's like a, it's like a straight-A student getting a C on a test. It's like, dude. You, you know, we know you're better than that. Like we, we know you're you're capable of, of acing this. Like why are why are we settling for something less than than you you're capable of? That's Jacob Topping. Except he's been getting C's all all season long instead of being an A player that that I I think he can be and I think he's going to be. And I really like how Cal kind of stressed. He said, you know, I know you guys are just going to say it's just Louisville, and I you know the comment section every post that. I've written and, you know, on Twitter, everybody's saying, well, what's he going to do against, you know, a team that actually matters? Louisville sucks. Yeah, I, I get that. But I appreciate that Cal acknowledged that and that those were going to be the comments that were going to come from that and said, I, he's going to shut you up the next game. And I, I hope it, he can't let this be a one-off. This has to start, you know, building one one performance like this on top of the other. Uh, so I think Tuesday is a huge night for him. I think LSU is a huge opportunity for him to prove that this isn't just a one-off, that this isn't just a, an outlier performance. He needs to be that Jacob Toppin every time he, just, he steps on the floor. He does, and it, it changes Kentucky if he is that because it gives them a guy with some high energy. And I, that's what I thought was the significant difference in him yesterday was just his his movement had a purpose on both ends of the floor. I thought he was mm -hmm. going to the glass. You saw him have some dunks. That was something that I talked about a couple of weeks ago that I thought this team was missing those plays at the rim, above the rim, and that's the guy that when you're talking about above the rim, you think of Jacob Toppin, completing lobs mm -hmm. and back dunks and 
cuts to the rim and things like that. So I thought that that was encouraging to see. Now, look, this game coming up, it's a massive game because it's one of those that if you if you drop it at home, those two road trips coming up the next two Saturdays are not easy. And you've already lost one on the road at Missouri. If you want to dig a hole in SEC play, you lose to LSU at Rupp Arena on Tuesday. And that's something that this team, to me, it's a must-win game. It's by far the biggest game of the season, given that they don't have anything on the resume. And you want to, you don't want to get out to an 0-2 start in league play with what's coming up Saturday and moving into next week. Like this is a this is a big one. Like they have to get this win against LSU. I guess what what are your keys to a win over LSU, and who who needs to break through, or, or even you know it doesn't have to be a, a breakthrough performance. It could be just continued uh, continued performance. I, I look at a guy like Antonio Reeves, and there's a lot of comments about him uh, in, in the comment section right now about him. Uh, man, you got to get Antonio Reeves going. You know, that that's a guy that he, there's way too much talent there. Uh, to be wasting away on the bench. It sucks. You, you know, everybody assumed that it was going to be uh, uh, C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves as the kind of the one-two scoring punch on this team, at least from a, a shooting perspective. Uh, C.J. is now out for a few weeks with a dislocated finger. I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Uh, but then Antonio just has not lived up to the building in games that matter. And, uh, you know, Missouri was the latest example of that. He was just not making shots. UCLA, he wasn't making shots. He went two for 13 or whatever he did. Uh, he, he just hasn't been good enough. And I think that's – you need – we got a breakthrough performance for, for Jacob Toppin. He needs to continue. He doesn't need to score 24 every night, but he needs to kind of play with that level of, of, of pace and, and focus and intensity and those those things. Uh, but Antonio is the next guy that I need to, you know, really hit that mark. And, and I, I think LSU, the pace, you know, they play with that same pace. And, you know, I know Coach McMahon, uh, former, former, former Murray State coach, they – you know, play play that brand of basketball, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think that this could be another opportunity that that you know this could be one that Antonio Reeves gets going, and I think he he really really needs to. Well, with with no CJ Frederick for a couple of weeks, you need to get Antonio Reeves going, especially as these mm-hmm. games get tougher as you move throughout the next couple of weeks of league play. I expect Kentucky to see some zone at times, and I think Kentucky's going to have to shoot the ball well the next couple of weeks. I think that you're there's. There's some really good basketball coaches on the other sideline coming up, and they're going to throw everything at Kentucky over the next couple of weeks, trying to limit Oscar Shibway, trying to limit Kaysen Wallace and Xavier Wheeler getting two feet in the paint and making plays. They're going to see a lot of different things. I think you're going to see some zone. I think you're going to see teams kind of dare Kentucky to shoot the ball, and you need Antonio Reeves to make shots. And if he's not able to be on the floor, then that leaves Kaysen Wallace it's a lot easier to guard when there's only one out there that can consistently make jump shots. Like they need Antonio Reeves to get going, especially with CJ Frederick out. Like I think that is a big thing to watch, not only on Tuesday, but over the course of the next couple of weeks as we move through January and as uh, conference play really starts to pick up the next couple of weeks. I think that is a significant thing to pay attention to. Yeah. And we, we've talked about uh, on the show, the, the, reaction that UCLA's coaches gave after that that game where they said they had one of the easiest, most predictable offenses and, and systems uh, in college basketball. The way they feed it, you know, force feed it to Oscar in the post and uh, he's not great passing out of there. You just swarm him, get you know, double or triple team him. He struggles to get it out back to the perimeter. No quick passes. He holds it too long, milks that clock, gets it back out to the uh, perimeter with four or five seconds left in the shot clock, and then it's a heave from Case Wallace or Sadri Wheeler or, or whatever. It's, it's it's 
the, the offense became very, very predictable. And I love that was one of the most beautiful parts of the Louisville win was, you know, Oscar was quick to pass it out of the post. He, he didn't just, you know, he wasn't an anchor down there. He was, you know, one more. Like, all, all we need is just one more. Uh, that's a mentality that, you know, I, I remember this offseason when I was at that uh, uh, Players First Fantasy Camp, talking to Cal, talking to, you know, the players and coaches, and uh, that was like a point of emphasis. He's, you know, Cal was saying, you know, that, that's something that we just need, really need to focus on this team. Don't play selfish basketball. One more. Get it to your open teammate, all that. So it's just funny how that's been one of the team's biggest struggles when that was a coaching point of emphasis at a stupid, you know, fantasy camp at UK. So I appreciated that Oscar was kind of the focal point of that. He was easy, quick to kick it out. Jacob Toppin, he'd get it in that high post, wide open in the middle of the zone, and then kick it right back out to you know, the three-point line if he – if, if they collapsed on him for an open shot, those type of decisions are winning decisions and winning plays. Uh, and I, 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 it's step in the right direction. I want to see it continued against LSU. Yeah, I thought the ball movement was very good yesterday, especially against the zone. Jacob Toppin in the high post, like you said, Oscar Sheboy moving the ball, the guards moving the ball. The assists were up too, which Kentucky did make shots. Sure. I mean, when you're scoring at the clip that they were scoring at, the assists have to go up. But that's something that you want to see continue throughout league play is the sharing the ball, getting guys in situations to succeed. Uh, I know Cal went to a little bit of a wrinkle there with uh, they line up like that floppy action. And I know they got Damian Collins, the, the kind of the up screen and got him the lob at the rim and he dunked. And, and they did some different things. They ran some zoom action for Case and Wallace, sprinting, sprinting in and out of ball screens and getting into the paint. So I, I thought that you saw a little bit more offensively from them. I thought the ball mm -hmm. movement – the ball moving was the biggest difference, though. And uh, that was there from the beginning of the game. And then Oscar Sheboy living on the glass. Jacob Toppin going to the glass. Like, getting those extra baskets from high-energy plays. That's something that had been missing. When you're talking about a team that struggled to score the way Kentucky did up until yesterday, you've got to find ways to get easier baskets, either getting to the free throw line, hitting the offensive glass. And I thought that they did that. Yeah, I agree. And it's something else that came up, uh, I saw one of the comments. Um, Tyler Ulis made his kind of unofficial coaching debut. He was seen behind, you know, on the bench uh, wearing Kentucky gear again. Um, I put out there last week that uh, that he had accepted a role as a special assistant, a student assistant on this uh, coaching staff under John Calipari, beginning his coaching career. Uh, absolutely terrible situation that he's in, uh, the head on collision. So he was already, you know, out due to injury. Uh, you know, in, in the NBA, he was with the Sacramento G, G League affiliate, gets hurt, uh, was back in Lexington rehabbing, took some time. I think it was in Michigan when this wreck happened. He gets hit head on. Uh, lucky to walk away. I mean, the fact that, yeah. that he even survived the wreck was was just, I mean, an absolute miracle. Um, the post, you know, post-wreck pictures were, I mean, just horrid. I mean, just absolutely just, just heartbreaking. Uh, he walks away. Uh, with multiple leg surgeries and he's on crutches still is and, and just you know terrible situation but through all of this he's been in lexington and john calipari said you know what while you're here we're going to utilize it we want to make sure that that you know we the value that you bring to the table as a high basketball iq guy one of the for my money he's he's my favorite point guard of all time at, at kentucky right. but you know i know it's controversial to say he's the best but it's inarguable that he is in that conversation at least one of the best uh, certainly to play for john calipari so to have that value have that basketball IQ on your on your bench, um, you know, as a role model for guys like Xavier Wheeler, Casey Wallace, shoot, even like a Duthiero, a guy who's learning the, you know, learning how to be a high level basketball player at this level. 
man, I, I just think it's a home run decision to, to bring him in. You know, he's taking full-time classes here at Kentucky and, you, you know, kind of returning to that student life uh, so he can be a student assistant. But, man, uh, just just the value that he, he brings to the table as a, you know, low-end assistant. I mean, I just I, you can't ask for anything better, in my opinion. No, you can't. And uh, I think that the biggest thing with that is when these guards come off the floor, like a Sabir Wheeler or a Cason Wallace, you've got a guy like Tyler Ulis sitting there that you can talk to about things going on within the game. Because we know John Calipari is going to be caught up in the game. The assistants are caught up in the game. Tyler Ulis has that job sitting there where he can kind of be that – these guys can be a sponge sitting there with him. He can see things primarily from the guard's perspective, especially point guard play. And I think that that's a big thing for this staff and, and for this team is that he can sit there and kind of use his expertise and his knowledge of the game and someone that has lived what these guys are living right now. Like no one on that staff there's a head coach has actually lived what these guys are living at Kentucky. Tower Ulis has. And I think that that's something that, that can really be a positive thing for this team moving throughout the season and especially into league play. Like we, we know, like that's, that's a guy that Cal can look at and say, Hey, you, you take this and, and do this and take these guards and kind of take them under your wing. Perfect job. Right. I mean, who's, who's better than Tower Ulis to, to talk about things in league play and, game planning with guards and things to look for on film. Like, I, I think it's the perfect thing. I really do. And it was cool yeah, to see him ideally, ideally, he returns to the floor where he belongs because he's a, a truly elite basketball player. I, I hope that he gets healthy as soon as possible and he can hit pause in his coaching career. And, you know, fingers crossed he leaves this staff because I want him back in the NBA. I want him to yeah. utilize his God-given talent as a, as a, as a truly elite point guard, ball handler, distributor, high basketball IQ guy, you know, just the, the value that he brings. He needs to be on a basketball floor. I, I, I truly believe that. But if he's not going to be there, I, I want him on the Kentucky bench as long as he'll be there. And if he does return to, to playing, I want him to, to play and play his ass off and produce as much as he can and, and thrive as much as he can and then return right back to that bench. I would – and look, I, I'm not a fan of – the, the you know make a splash hire just for the sake of doing one like you know Penny Hardaway filling out his assistance with random former players and you know I, I get you kind of have to make some splashy things uh, when you're you know kind of a new coach or you're in a new program looking to make a statement and things like that I, you, you don't need to do that but I, I just don't see a scenario where uh, he doesn't become an elite coach down the road and I wouldn't be I wouldn't mind at all if yeah, you know, years pass and he kind of works his way up the coaching totem pole and, and you know, becomes an, a full-time assistant at some point. I, I don't want it to be immediate because, you know, he does have to, you know, kind of earn his badge a little bit and, you know, figure out the ropes of recruiting and what all that stuff entails. But, man, I, I think for what he is right now is great, is great but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of hoping for down the road he becomes a full-time assistant at some point. Yeah, I do too. And I, I definitely think it's a great thing for this team. I think it's a great thing for Tyler. I think it's a great thing for John Calipari. Anytime you can welcome back a former player that is beloved as Tyler Ulysses is, I think it's a good thing for the team. And and honestly, to this point in the year, when you put that out there, that's probably one of the most positive stories or positive bit of news that we've had. And it was welcomed with positivity from, from all sides. I think that's the – the good thing about it, it, it kind of felt like the perfect time. But 
it was definitely good seeing him sitting on that bench yesterday, and I think it's going to be a good thing for this team. Yeah, absolutely. I'm making sure there's no uh, other questions. It's, we're not going to have this one run super long, try to keep it at, you know, 40-ish minutes. Somebody brought up Ugana uh, on Yenzo and just, you know, whether he's going to be used or, or not and, you know, just kind of what, what he brings to the table. Uh, I, I do think that's interesting. He played a couple minutes. Cal said after the Missouri game that Damian Collins was next man up and he only played three minutes. Uh, I got to be honest, Sean, it, it really appears that – that Cal is in the process of cutting this rotation. I don't know if it's just because CJ is out and he's kind of forced to just say, all right, screw it. I'm going to throw out the, you know, rotation stuff we've seen. He's been trying to all, all these different combinations with different players and bizarre lineups at various times. Um, it, it just really feels like I, I had the numbers. I think four players had over 35 minutes. Only six players total had over 10 minutes, I think was the, the stat I, I wrote down after the game. Um, it, it definitely feels like he is cutting his rotation down significantly. Maybe it's just to pass the time until CJ comes back. But um, usually we see Cal do this kind of midway through SEC play or maybe even like late SEC play, definitely in the tournament. Um, but it, it is kind of interesting that, that the minute allocation was what it was against Louisville. Yeah, and, and we do see this from Cal. Like, it's it's normal to to see this rotation kind of get cut down, especially when league play starts, usually late December, moving into January is when you really see him kind of key in on those seven guys. And, and I think that CJ will be a part of that when he's healthy. Uh, but it's going to be something to pay attention to over the next couple of weeks. And, and not just the time that we're at in the season or the point we're at in the season, but the competition that Kentucky is going to be playing. Like these are going to be, in my opinion, I'm just going to put them, put it out there how I see it. They have must-win basketball games the next two weeks. If this is a team that looks up and loses on the road at Alabama, on the road at Tennessee, let's say something happens against LSU Tuesday night, or let's say they get that one. Like this is still a team to me that's trying to put itself in the NCAA tournament. Because right now I don't think they're an NCAA tournament team. If, if the tournament started today, what resume do they have that puts them in the tournament? They have nothing on it. They have plenty of opportunities to mm -hmm. get wins. But this feels like games that John Calipari is going to coach as must-win games, and I think he has to because you do not want to let these opportunities slip away. You're not going to win them all, I don't think. But you got to go get one of those road wins, in my opinion. You can't win them all. You don't have to you win them all. Lose them all. <laughs> you, you can't lose them all. You and if they do – if we're sitting here on January 14th and they've lost both those road games, what are we talking about? Uh, probably what DJ Wagner is going to look like in a Kentucky jersey. And, man, the idea we're talking of about a, we're talking about a bubble. Yeah, we're talking about a what? bubble. We're talking about a bubble. We'd be talking about a bubble team moving into late January. Yeah. That's scary. That's it, it is scary. Like I'm, this can't be a ten loss team, is what I'm saying. And I'm concerned that it very well could be a ten loss team. Like I don't, I don't want this to be a ten loss team. And I just think the schedule, the way it is, it could be a ten loss team. I mean, you got Kansas this month. You got road trips to Alabama, road trip to Tennessee. Like. I'm saying that I like what I saw yesterday, but until I see it against somebody that I consider a good basketball team, I mean, listen, Missouri embarrassed Kentucky. Alabama's not going to be any easier. Tennessee's not going to be any easier. 
but you have talent and I think that they can get this figured out and I think they can get it right. And I think yesterday was a significant step in the right direction, but now it's about taking the next step and that's beating LSU at Rupp Arena on Tuesday and then taking that one into Tuscaloosa and then moving throughout the league. Like this is where it gets real. It sure does. It sure does. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's uh, start wrapping this thing up. Uh, Tuesday night, huge opportunity. LSU Tigers, um, a team that is outperformed pretty much all expectations going into the year. Um, just, you know, a team that had a complete turnover of coaching, of players. Uh, the, the fact that they have started out as hot as they have, very, very well coached. Uh, interested to see your thoughts on, on uh, how Kentucky performs against a team that, uh, you know, for my money, one of the most entertaining in the SEC. And, and I, I certainly think it's going to be a very underrated game on, on Kentucky's schedule, one that I, I think is going to be a tough one. Yeah, uh, I think it will be too. I've, I've not got to watch a ton of LSU. I mean, it would be a quad three win if Kentucky gets at LSU sitting at number 76 in the net. But obviously with that being at Rupp Arena, that's what makes it a quad three. Uh, mm -hmm. If this were a road game, it'd be significantly different when it comes to, to number-wise. But it's a team that I think, given what Kentucky's been this year, is going to come into Rupp Arena with some confidence, thinking that they can pull off an upset and, and beat Kentucky. And that, that's where I think Kentucky's got to be locked in from the start. Uh, this would be, in my opinion, a good win to kind of get them going into these tough road games and coming up in league play. Uh, they, they, and then you're, you're talking about the schedule, like LSU's the start of it, but then you got a, a comfortable home game next week against South Carolina. So you got to get these two at Rupp Arena. You can't lose one of the next two home games, in my opinion. I think you got to get LSU on Tuesday. You got to get South Carolina next week. And then I think you got to win one of those two road games. And if Kentucky does that in the next four, I think you start to feel better about where they are. But it starts Tuesday. Yeah, it, it very much reminds me of that stretch. Like you said, the WKU start where what the win yep. was what it was. It's not like, uh, you know, it was just a feel-good win, nice little step in the right direction. Then you got UNC, then you got Kansas. Those, you know, kind of – it was just a build-up. And it, it just really kind of turned into – uh, you know, really, uh, you know, positive stretch where Kentucky started playing its best basketball basketball of the year, and that's that's really what you're hoping for, and uh, just a huge opportunity, huge opportunity. Uh, like you said, it, it it sucks that we're even in must win territory because in any other year, an LSU game at home would not be a must win, and, and well, it shouldn't have been this year. But because of how the early season played out, we are at that point, and it is what it is, and uh, now we just gotta. Win and pro. Uh, what's what's the uh, win and proceed? What's the succeed and proceed or whatever? Whatever it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's how you gotta, no, the like the tournament. This oh, win and uh, survive in advance. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I was like, are we going back to Cal's succeed and proceed comments from like years ago? Because I'm like, man, we're really throwing it back. Gold standard. No, I, I, no it's survive in advance. You, I think that's what I'm looking for. That's yeah. that's what I'm looking for. Well, and, anyway, and you know, and you know me, I'm one of the biggest resume guys yeah. that probably covers Kentucky. Like I dive into the resume, especially this time of year. It's one of my favorite things to do. And when you look at what Kentucky has, they've got three quad one games this month. Those three teams, two of them are on the road at Alabama, at Tennessee, and then you got Kansas to close the month. Right now, do you feel good about Kentucky beating those three teams? 
No. No. They got to do something. They got to do something to change that. Now they're going to have opportunities. You got to do something to change that. And I just think that when you look at resume, that's what I'm trying to talk to people about right now. If you don't get these opportunities the next two weeks, beating South Carolina, Georgia, Texas A&M at Vandy, it's not doing anything to make you a tournament team. In my opinion, it's not doing anything to put you in a position to be in a, in a good spot entering the NCAA tournament. Beating Alabama, beating Tennessee, beating Kansas does, but you also can't lose these other games. That's what I'm saying. Kentucky's margin for error is thin because it doesn't have anything to show for and already has four losses on its schedule. Like that's yeah. where I'm coming from, that this team is in, to me, must-win mode every single night they step on the floor. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That should bring out the best in this team, not the worst, because it's making every game meaningful. Yep. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. starts – Tuesday night against LSU and then the trip to uh, Tuscaloosa Tuscaloosa for the Alabama game, definitely a uh, big stretch for Kentucky. Sean, during Kentucky's trip to Alabama, make sure that you visit Best Western Hotels and Resorts with more than 30 Best Western Hotels and Resorts throughout Kentucky. Both leisure and business travelers can count on what matters most, a warm welcome, a rewarding stay, and a truly exceptional value massive lakes tree houses mountain tunnels bustling cities you never know what's around the next bend from uh, outdoor activities to local restaurants kentucky offers something fun for everyone and best western offers something for every traveler wherever life takes you best western is there visit bestwesternkentucky.com and at best western on social media sean smith let's get the heck out of here where can fans find your work you can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Find me on Twitter as well, at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email, JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the JPEG Sports Podcast. We will see you then.